0: Amen. We've got a lot of ground to cover today, so we want to get started right away. I've, I want to I begin with two verses uh, from uh, two of the Gospels, and then I sent out on social media this week, if you could, to read 1 Samuel 14, the first 21 verses. Don't worry if you didn't do that. We will uh, make sure we are all on the same page, and we travel the same track, and we get to the same destination. Uh, John fifteen sixteen. Words of Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the father in my name, he may give to you. The last time I spoke months ago, we we talked about for kingdom fruit and I did a Facebook live on Sunday evening and we talked more about it. And, you know, my definition of fruit is uh, the process of you following your joy as you combine and mix together your God-given gifts, your creativity, your purpose, your experience, your interests, and put in a good dose of sustained effort in a way that produces something of value for the benefit of others and indirectly for yourself. So the question I ask myself is, where's my fruit? I would pose that to you as well, These were the words of Jesus, that he did not choose us just to take care of our personal needs. He has something for us to do, something for us to produce, and it's quantifiable, it's measurable, and we should hold ourselves accountable to produce it. Now, the second verse is in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12 in the New King James Version. It says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Two words I want to look at there. Suffers is an, is an old English word. Uh, Jesus said, Suffer the little children to come unto me. The definition of suffer there is to allow, to permit. The second word is violence, and we may recoil from that because of what we have seen or what we may have even experienced against our own person or our property. But the Greek word there for violence is more assertive or aggressive behavior. And this is kind of the start-stop, the, 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 we could feel we're picking on mixed signals. Last week, Pastor Ross gave an excellent word on being patient. That It was biblical, and we need it, and, and he gave many great examples. But then Jesus said, the kingdom suffers or allows aggressive behavior. So it's not either-or, it's two sides of the same coin. I always think of uh, I think it's, it's Proverbs twenty six four says answer a fool according to his folly. The next verse says don't answer a fool. I want to say God make up your mind. <laughs> I mean, one, I mean in the same breath you say answer and don't answer because there's a time for both and there's a time for patience and there is a time for aggressive behavior and God's not brittle. God's not easily offended. And so we want to talk a little bit about that. Now, before we get to 1 Samuel 14, I want to go to the end of chapter 13. I want to look at a few verses, and then we'll share the title and we'll pray. But in 1 Samuel 13, it says, Now no blacksmith could be found on all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines, each to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his hoe. The charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to fix the hoes. So it came about on the day of battle that neither sword nor spear was found in the hands of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and his son Jonathan. A standing army, two swords. But the title of my message today is Your Cliffs Have Names. Let's pray. Father, we, as I always do, I pray for two miracles. First, the miracle of speech. Empower and enable me to say the words that you would want to say to your people today. That will require a miracle. But God, I present myself. And what I had even prepared to say, help me to say more. Help me to say it differently in a way that will enhance your people receiving. But that's the second miracle, that somehow we would all come together from our different vantage points, from all the pressures of the week and, and cut through culture and vocabulary and preconceived notions and ministry preferences so that we would hear one word but everybody would be able to go home and say there was something in it just for me. Now that will require a miracle, but you're a miracle-working God. And together, speaker and listeners, we join together as one that we may have an encounter with you today through your word. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. And as we delve into God's word, may the Lord be with with you. The point to remember, the one thing I would like to establish through what we have read and what we are going to read is that you must be active, even aggressive, and pursuing the will of God for you and yours. Point number one, we are involved in a battle both external and internal. Not a great surprise, not a profound revelation. We're in a fight. If the book of Revelation teaches us nothing else, it is that there is a constant war going on in places we cannot see, and we will read more about that in a moment. That war carries over into our natural existence. The war is not only external, where there are circumstances that must be overcome. Things like racism, injustice, sexism, billions of people who don't know the Lord. But also the condition of our hearts and minds. Those things our enemy uses to thwart our spiritual progress. Now the enemy is always working to disarm us. In the verses I read out of 1 Samuel 13, the Philistines were the consistent enemy of God's people. And they were oppressing God's people. And one of the ways they did this was to take the weapons out of their hands that they could use to fight against the Philistines. The enemy always seeking to disarm us. I was in a meeting uh, uh, not too long ago. Walked in, and, and you could just feel the discouragement. You could feel the waywardness. You could feel the complacency. I could taste it. They had everybody had been disarmed. Yes, they were going to study the Bible. Yes, they loved the Lord. Yes, they sang the songs. But there was something missing. Maybe it's discouragement, fear, wrong doctrine, or bad teaching. It's amazing how bad teaching, a bad application can stick in our minds like Velcro. We carry it for 20 years. Believe it. Build a whole supportive doctrine around it. It's the enemy at work. He is determined to make sure we cannot wage war and gain victory. Then he also tries to convince us that the price is too high to make progress and win spiritual battles. The Philistines said, if you have any agricultural tools and you need them sharpened, you got to come through us and we're going to charge you. And many of us are convinced that it's too costly to do missions. It's too costly to be generous. It's too costly to start a business. It's too costly to go back to school. I can't pay that price. Therefore, I will go to church and hear about somebody else who's doing it and try to vicariously enter in to their experience. Now, why does God allow the war? A, the answer is longer than I have time, but in part it's to teach us to rely on him. And to build us up spiritually so that we have confidence in him and who he has made us to be, so we can do more and bear fruit. See, God is God will meet our needs, but that's not all God wants to do. He meets our needs, so we in turn can meet the needs of other people. We are his agents. So we're not just a bless me club. We're not just, uh, you know, here, church a big box of chocolates, and I pick through. Oh yeah, I like the word. I don't like worship. I don't get there. You know, for that that's not important. You know, I, I like, I like, you know, small group. You know, if it works. Oh, the boxes. You know, all my favorites are gone. <laughs> so maybe I go to another church. <laughs> but it, that's not what church is for. Now I said that's an external. We're more talking about, but there's an internal war. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 4, Paul wrote, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every captive, every thought to make it obedient to Christ. My problem is my thinking. Romans is clear, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. The renewing, uh, the business of our minds is thinking. So if I want transformed, I got to think differently. And very often we want an external encounter with the Lord, and those do happen and they are legitimate, impacted by the power of the Spirit. But there has to be something that happens on the inside my thinking. I shared this the last time, but it, it bears repeating that, that God can say, if God will only speak to me, God can speak to you, but you don't think he's speaking to you. Because your thinking is wrong. Go into all the nations. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you to our churches and missions. But he can't be talking to me. I'm too old. I'm too young. I have student loans. I am, I'm a diabetic. I got children. I don't travel well. So therefore, while I affirm the truth of the word, I dismiss its relevance for me. Be generous to the poor. Well, I'm poor. God can't mean for me to give. But I affirm the truth. Yes, yes, we need to be generous. But he can't be talking to me. What needs to change? My thinking. Now first John four verse four says, "You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He who is in you, in you than He who is in the world. There has to be power from within. Point number two, our enemy does not fight fairly but our god is greater than he is there's is a saying all's fair in love and war and that's true in spiritual warfare our enemy is relentless and it's the only explanation for some of the things that have happened in our lives if the lord had not been on our side an old song says then the raging waters would have swept over my soul and i said we'd look at revelation Revelation is a misused book. We try and find out what the secret things mean, and we miss what the clear things are saying to us. If we look at Revelation 12, it says, Then the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth. We know who the dragon is, the serpent. He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle, So that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time. Ooh, what does the time, times, and half a time mean? Ooh, tune in next week and I'll share with you what it means. Don't waste your time. Nobody knows. And if Revelation wanted us to know, it would tell us. It is futile speculation from which many people have profited. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman. Now, this next part is pretty clear. And went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Now, how many of you keep God's commands? Okay, two, three. That's pretty good. (laughs) Oh, it's a trick question. I'm going to look foolish. I can't raise my hand. Plus, you do the work. I just came to watch you. Don't ask me to raise my hands. This is my downtime. (laughs) who's he waging war against you and me it is remarkable there is a relentless stream of opposition against the church of Jesus Christ the first thing a totalitarian government does when they set up shop is outlaw the church there has been relentless release of false doctrines of attacks And then the problems, the wickedness that is sometimes exposed becomes magnified. Hollywood can have all their problems, but the church has some, and it seems like they are trumpeted even more. Why? It's part of a plot. And we always underestimate it. The enemy just doesn't like us. He hates us. He just doesn't want to hurt us. He wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy you, and that's why he takes the weapons out of your hands. God has a purpose or destiny for each of us. If nothing else, he has good works he has prepared for us to do. And the enemy stands between us and those good works. We must work and walk our way through the opposition to get where we need to be. Now again, we work through the opposition. I almost called this message the battle for the battle. Because we work our way through our individual battles, but it doesn't stop there because then we take our place in the larger battle for culture, for the hearts and minds of men and women. And there's a war. And that's why I'm fully engaged in social media. I want to take them all on. I want to use the airwaves that are being used for wickedness, for the glory of God. We did it with radio. We did it with television, although not sometimes very well. We can do it with social media. That's why there's a war against it. That's why we hear so much negativity about it, because there's so much power to set people free. Amen. Now, 1 Samuel 14. I promised we were going there. I Best get on with it. Now the day came that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come and let us go over to the Philistine's garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is Megron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men, two swords for an army of 600. That was the power that they had. And we have to be careful we don't get into the same place. The army assembled. They ran drills with broomsticks. But they were impotent to do anything against the enemies of God. And the people who were with him were about 600. And Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Bichabah's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord at Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to cross over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp crag or a cliff on the one side, and a sharp crag or a cliff on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Seneh. Point number three, the mature believer realizes that we have a role to play in our spiritual progress and success. We each need to climb our cliffs to make progress, and those cliffs have names. I'd present to you Bozes and Sina, and I was gonna try to do some map stuff, it's just too confusing. When when you're a cliff and you get a name, you're, you're a significant cliff. You're the mother of all cliffs. You don't name a little anthill. You don't name a, a, a little crag. But man, these cliffs had names. So do yours. We each have crags or cliffs that we need to climb to gain our victory over sin and over the obstacles between us and our purpose. What's the name of your cliff? Fear would be a big cliff. But how about rejection? I promise you, if you have a cliff of rejection, the next party you are not going to be invited to and you're going to have to climb your cliff. Here we go again. Woe is me. This always happens to me. I hate them. I hate this. And it can turn to bitterness and self-pity and shame and sickness and finances and a critical spirit and grief and depression and anxiety and mental illness and discouragement. And disappointment and the reality of real failures in your life. Physical deformities, age, family dysfunction. Oh, we all have cliffs. And they're not anthills. They're not little ditty things. They stand between you and the Philistines. Between you and the real battle. I got close. I got mountain range. (laughs) Which ones do I talk about? There's so many. End of the quarter last year, you know, five years ago, I left staff, start the publishing company, do some more work in Africa. Last quarter of last year was tough. First time in the five years, really tough financially. June, I had more money in the bank I'd ever had, and it just was gone. I did a big event in Kenya. Oh, I couldn't have gone any better. (laughs) And then the bill came. (laughs) So every day, I'm having to climb this cliff. God, you brought me here. You have led me here. But the questions, is it over? Did you go too far? Did you overextend yourself? Did you miss something? God, I'm standing. Even if I did any of those things, God, I'm standing. I need you. You called me here. You did not bring me out this far to take me back again. And you know, you're hoping you find the right combination of words, you know. How am I doing, Lord? I think it's pretty eloquent. But the next day, it's the same problem. (laughs) Maybe I didn't say in Jesus' name. Maybe, maybe, maybe... God, I've got $30 today, and I'm going to fill my gas tank, and I'm going to thank you for what I have, and I'm going to trust you for tomorrow. But I'm scared. Then I was working on many projects, book projects, and this was a really cool project for somebody else, a novel. I won't go into the details, but it needed a lot of work, a lot of work. So I'm I'm am fi- climbing this one cliff, and this other cliff is God. Help me, show me what I'm missing. God, this this has such potential, but it's such a mess. Help me, give me insight. Where do we put the? It's it's disjointed. God, Pastor Rock is preaching on Daniel, and you gave Daniel not only an interpretation for the dream, but you told him what the dream was. If you can do that for Daniel, then you can do that for me on this project. But God, I need money. I'm- <laughs> You're not going to climb those cliffs with what I call now I lay me down to sleep prayers. <laughs> Somebody breaks in your house. Now you know you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> and, and I don't want to scare you or frighten you. And I know you came in through the window, and I'll, I'll open the door for you. Take your time. <laughs> Gather up all my things. Do you need help to the car? Because I'm a Christian, praise the Lord, and I don't want to raise my voice or anything to you. And, and so, you're not going to take every thought captive to Christ unless it's hand-to-hand combat. And we don't like that. It makes us uncomfortable. So hopefully I can go to church for 65 minutes and find what I need there. The key, the, the, the principle, and we may. Now, the good news is I had the best December I ever had. And two weeks ago, I'm flying out to Seattle, and I read that novel, and it's a good piece of work. Thank you, Jesus. But you know, those cliffs, that wasn't the end. That now got me to the top, and now I'm in a bigger battle. Speaking to more people. Going more places. Writing more projects. The battle for the battle. Aggressiveness and waiting. Waiting on the answer, but pursuing it every day and walking in what I was fairly certain I was supposed to do. There's patience and there's aggressiveness. Now in 1 Samuel 14, 6, it says, Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor... Come and let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. See, we we hear that. The Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. The Lord, he could do anything he wants. You going to Guatemala without it? Well, you know... It's $600 and Christmas is coming. And, you know, God can't do Guatemala in Christmas, you know, because he's really busy around this time of the year, you know, and his little elves, oh, wait a minute, that's the wrong, that's the wrong. I got them all mixed up. (laughs) But I don't want to go too far. I don't want to be too fanatical. (laughs) So next time. How many of you said next time to an opportunity that was in your heart to do? And you're going to have to climb your cliff and pull down the stronghold of fear and the limitation of God that you have if you're going to get to the top. See, you used to say you were too young. Now what do you say? I'm too old. It works. Oh, yeah, good church. Peace. But God wanted more. For, for, for there are no guarantees, even with faith. I was fairly certain of what I, what I was supposed to do. You see, we want confirmation, so we wait and wait and wait, and then we get confirmation, but we're not sure, so we want confirmation of our confirmation. Then the confirmation, we're not sure about that, so we pray for one more. Notice Jonathan said, perhaps. We often want guarantees of safe passage, success, safety, and a parade from those closest to us before we set out to do God's will or make progress. There are none. Faith requires that we operate in the uncertainty of life while we trust the Lord. For Samuel fourteen nine and 10, Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men and re- reveal ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we're going up. For the Lord has given them into our hands, and this will be the sign to us. Point number five, the desire for confirmation or a sign is a sign of unbelief, not faith. While it seems to be prudent that we ask the Lord for confirmation, we must be careful for signs are an indication of unbelief. And God will work with us. He knows us. But in Luke, they were asking Jesus for a sign verse 29 of chapter 11, he said, This generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. That Jesus would come back from the dead. Brothers and sisters, there's no better sign than that. If God can raise a man from the dead, He can help you write your poetry. If God can raise the dead, He can help you start your business. Starting a business is less than death. So he can do it. Now what was Jonathan's confirming sign? He said, if they call us up, we're going to climb those cliffs and we're going to go get them. Now that's not, this, I, I, that's not what I'd ask for. God, I want eight rocks to fall down. I want five over here. I want three over here. I want them to be stacked perfectly. And even then, I may sleep on it. He said, if they call us up, they're scared. Because they got the numbers. They could come down and crush us. But if they're afraid to come out, Mr. Armour Bear, follow me. And then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet with his Armour Bear behind him. And they fell before Jonathan and his Armour Bear put some to death after him. Point six, sometimes God does not act on your behalf until you act. Jonathan got his fingernails dirty that day. He scratched and bruised his hands and knees. I showed up every day while I was climbing my cliffs last quarter. What about you? James two seventeen says, even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But this next concept I saw years ago in Hebrews 11 has really helped me. The last part of verse 34 says whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. See, I want to feel strong and then move into battle. But that verse says if I move into battle, then I'll feel strong. Some of you want a word from the Lord. You want healing. But you're not going to get it where you are. You're going to have to go where he wants you to be. And you may have to fight to get there. And the biggest enemy of getting there may be your mind. 1 Samuel 14, verses 14 and 15. The first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within half a furrow and an acre of land. And there was a trembling in the camp and the field and among all the people. And even the garrison and the raiders trembled and the earthquake so there became a great trembling. See, that didn't happen until he got up there. Number seven, your action can have a ripple effect. As God helps us overcome and we make progress, it will serve as an encouragement to others. In fact, we're commanded to encourage one another. Hebrews 10. drawing near. That's why I talk about myself. And I people write, they say, you talk about yourself too much. That's part of my testimony. I don't, I don't want to talk about you. I don't know you. I know me. I know what a mess I have been and I am. I know what God has done in my life. I will stand on my testimony. But you have to be willing to accept that and not say, well, he's different. No, I'm one of you. If God helps me write my books, he'll help you. If God helps me go on foreign missions, He'll help you. But you have to receive that. God uses role models in His Word, but then also in real life to provoke and stir us all to good deeds. The point to remember is that you must be active, even aggressive, in pursuing the will of God For you and yours. Let's bow our heads. We'll start where we need to start. Pastor George said if you don't receive communion and you haven't given your life to the Lord, then examine why. I trust you have, and are you ready to make the transition? If you're here today and you cannot point to a time when you gave your life to Jesus, when you made the transaction that Pastor George referred to, trading your life in, which if you're honest, <laughs> hasn't worked out that well, in return for God's life, which has been proved over and over again to be pure and holy and good. If you're here today and you want to make that transaction, that transition transition, Heads bowed, eyes closed. If this is the day you want to surrender to the Lord, just raise your hand where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. Where are you? Make sure I see your hand. We've had hands in every service, so don't be self-conscious. Yes, thank you. Someone else? Someone else? Anyone else? Yes, thank you. Someone else? Don't be self-conscious. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Last Saturday I was a half hour away from the parkway where those two good Samaritans were hit and thrown onto 2nd Avenue. I'm not being dramatic, but if you're wavering in your decision, this is the day of salvation. This is the day that the Lord has made. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. There's no better time to start serving the Lord than now. Who else? Someone else? Who else? Who else? Well, let me lead you in a prayer. If you raised your hand, should have praised your hand, or anybody at all, you can just repeat after me, Heavenly Father, in your heart, you can do it silently. Heavenly Father, I have a confession to make. I have lived for myself and not for you. So I come to make the transaction. Here's my life. Give me yours. Forgive my sins. Wash me clean. And give me the power to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep your heads bowed. If you raised your hand, should have raised your hand and prayed that prayer, Pastor George is going to tell you where the prayer room is. When he comes back, make sure you go there after the service and tell somebody what you just did. But for everybody else, if God spoke to you about a cliff that you need to climb, or that your cliff isn't the end, it's to get you in the battle, and God has something bigger for you to do, and your cliffs are keeping you from it, raise your hand, I want to pray for you. Yep, there are stories to be published, there are dances to be done, businesses to be started. So, Heavenly Father, I pray for each one of my brothers and sisters whose hands are raised. I pray, Lord, that you will go with them up that cliff. I pray when they get up there, you will greet them and introduce them to the bigger picture of what you have for them. Lord, I come against fear in the name of Jesus. Because perfect love casts off fear. And the cliff that you have for us is not so we will fall and be dashed on the rocks below. But that we can make progress in and with you. And I pray for each person whose hands is raised. That that will be their testimony. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.